0: to Alive and Powerful with Pastor Scott Morrison. Alive and Powerful is the radio ministry of Foothills Calvary, a fresh and growing fellowship in Lakewood, Colorado. We invite you to come and join us as we study the Word together, Sunday mornings at 9 and 11 a.m. We meet at 12344 West Alameda Parkway in Lakewood, just a few blocks west of Union and Alameda. For more information about Foothills Calvary, Please visit our website at foothillscalvary.org. That's foothillscalvary.org. We hope you are blessed by today's message. Now, here's Pastor Scott.
1: Good morning. My name is Andy. Um, if you're wondering uh, why the handsome guy who's normally here is not here, and you have me, uh, he is home with his wife today. And uh, just be praying for them as uh, she's continuing to heal. And uh, Pastor Scott is being a good husband and just attending to his family. So uh, my name is Andy. I'm from Calvary Church in Aurora. So I will be filling in with you guys today. Uh, Let's go ahead and pray and then we'll jump in. So uh, Father, we thank you for uh, Foothills Calvary. We thank you for this church. We thank you, Lord, that uh, you are moving in this community through this church. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you would just come and that you would settle here. We welcome your moving in your presence. We ask, Lord, that you would speak clearly through me. and pray, Lord, that you would put your words in my mouth. And I pray, Father, that you would uh, just pierce us, God, in the places that we need to be challenged. We love you, Jesus. We pray for Pastor uh, Scott. We pray for Pam. We just ask, Lord, that you would uh, encourage them today. Allow them to just uh, heal well and to rest well. And we pray blessing over them, Jesus, in your name. Amen. All right. Uh, does anybody need a Bible before we get started? Anyone? Anyone want a paper Bible? All right. I always ask that just because I want you guys to uh, uh, just get in the habit of having a Bible. You shouldn't just take the word of the guy who's standing in the front, uh, but you want to have your eyeballs on it so that you can see uh, what's going on, what Jesus is doing and what he's speaking, and allow the Lord to just challenge you with that. So uh, I want to begin this morning with just asking you guys a question. I want you to think back. um, For some of us, it's farther than for others, but I want you to think back where you were when Jesus found you. What did your life look like? Where were you? Where were you living? How were you um, just dealing with life? How were you processing? How were you handling your emotions? How were you interacting with people? And I want you to just consider where you were and where the Lord has brought you. I want you to, to think back and keep that in the back of your mind because that's important. It's good to be reflective sometimes. Uh, For most of us, when we come to the Lord, um, when we find out that there's grace, that I can be clean, that I can be set free, uh, that's good news. Really, really good news. And so um, we start off and we get excited and we're expectant for what God is going to do. We expect to just meet him everywhere, everywhere we go. We expect for God to do something and we're desperate for him. And Jesus even uh, addresses this in Matthew chapter 5 in his Sermon on the Mount. And he says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, because they're going to be filled. Uh, it's a blessing and a promise. And so when we begin that process of being hungry for Jesus and thirsty, and we just want to learn, we want to know, who are you, God? What do you think about this? And how do you feel about that? And uh, should I live my life like this? Or maybe I should do it like that? And we're just processing A lot. And for a lot of us, you just, you don't know what you don't know, you know, and you show up and you're just happy to be there because Jesus is in the room and you want to be living your life with him. And so um, a lot of us just start off really, really well. And that expectancy and that desperation invites the moving of God. A kingdom moving, kingdom activity. And so uh, we start off well, and we start down the road, and we, we get a little bit farther down the road, and we start to realize, man, this is, uh, this, some days are challenging. Sometimes this is hard, you know, and we're like, okay, well, uh, let's keep going. And we go a little bit farther, and we're like, oh man, I'm tired. I'm I'm a little sleepy, you know. And so we, we move along, and we move along, and we start to learn lessons. And as we do that, sometimes what happens is um, we'll experience things that are difficult, things that are tough. We'll get punched in the mouth sometimes, sometimes literally, but uh, usually just figuratively. And so uh, we run into those situations, and, and sometimes that causes us to turn a little bit inward. We pull back a little bit in our faith. We're like, hmm, maybe I need to, to temper this a little bit. Maybe I need to just calm down just tame myself a little bit. And sometimes uh, we do that. So that way we feel like we fit better. And what ends up happening is time passes and then somebody will ask you a question. they will say, you know what? What is God talking to you about? What is God doing in your life? You have to sit there and you have to think, you know. Um, 20 years ago, this happened. It's like, whew, awesome. But it's been a bit. Don't you think, you know, and then, uh, you know, some people will be like, oh, six months ago or or 10 years ago or whatever it is. And we'll start to realize that "Mm, it's been a while since I've had an adventure with God. It's been a while since I felt like I was really partnering with him in something. And so sometimes what ends up happening is we start to lose firsthand stories of what God's doing in our life and what God's doing uh, through us. And we start to latch on to the past. And we start to latch on to other people's stories, secondhand stories, and we start to settle for living our faith life vicariously, like, oh, they did that, and that's super cool, and and, um, we don't check ourselves. Where are we at? And a big part of walking with the Lord is having intimacy with him and allowing the Lord to do different things in our life. And so even as we read the word, it's important to always remember that this book is alive. It's a living word. And as you read it, it reads you. And it challenges and provokes different things in the way that you think, and the way that you feel, and the way that you interact, and in the way that you make decisions and have choices. You know, I remember being a kid, I was probably, I don't know, eight or nine, and uh, I was in a service, and uh, we all showed up, nothing special, just a normal morning, and the worship is going, and all of a sudden, you just felt. Like a heaviness, like in a good way, but like just a, the presence of the Lord in the room. And I remember watching, you know, kind of across the, the auditorium, there's maybe one person gets up and goes to the front. Like, interesting. Like nobody called for that, you know, another person and somebody else. And there ends up being like 10 to 12 people at the front of the sanctuary and they're praying and they're crying and uh, all this is going on and worship is going and it's really good. And then worship starts to uh, come to the end of the set and the pastor looks super anxious. He's sitting on the stage in the tradition that I grew up in and you could tell it's an awkward moment for him. And uh, his, he uh, finally comes up and and uh, he goes ahead and he prays and then he asks the people who are praying, who are having a moment where the Lord is really dealing with their heart, to please leave the room and go out the side door. And it was amazing. You could feel the the ministry of the Holy Spirit quench. You could just feel the Lord leave the room with the people that were broken. The ministry of the Lord slipped out the door. And it was fascinating to watch in a sad way the Lord being treated like a nuisance in his own church, in his own building, the ministry that God wanted to do because it wasn't going along with the regularly scheduled program, right? And that's that's sad. And so many times I've seen just the the spirit of the Lord grieved. And sometimes what happens is we read the word and we get together in Bible studies and we come together and we encourage each other and build each other up. And what ends up happening is uh, it fails to go from here to here. And so we think like, ah, I'm living this, this exciting life, this vibrant life, but nothing is changing in your life. Like you have more knowledge, but it's not motivating. It's not driving anything inside of you anymore. And I think it's super interesting that a lot of times we ended up or we end up getting confused and we start to look at the Lord and his ministry through the lens of who we are versus the lens of who he is. And we start to have some very real misunderstandings about who God is and what God wants to do and what God is wanting to do with us. And so very subtly, sometimes we begin exchanging Jesus' vision for the church for our version of it. And we begin to start following subtly ourselves. And we're bored. A lot of people get bored with their faith. They miss God. They miss having experiences with the Lord where he's doing stuff. They miss the vibrancy and the passion that they used to have in their heart. And they miss just having moments where he was speaking to them. And we need to understand that Jesus came not only to heal us and to ignite us, but he also came to set us loose, to send us back. So that way rescuer, or the rescued sorry, could become rescuers. So... Uh, If you guys will turn over to Amos chapter 5, verses 21 through 24. If you're not familiar with the Bible, it's about halfway through. In the Old Testament, there's a table of contents in the front, but I'll read it uh, through a paraphrase that I have. Um, And I liked this paraphrase because it just so poignantly uh, lays out the Lord's heart in this passage. And so, it's the Lord speaking, and he says... In this paraphrase, I can't stand your religious meetings. I'm fed up with your conferences and conventions. I want nothing to do with your religion projects, your pretentious slogans and goals. I'm sick of fundraising schemes, public relations, and image making. I've had all I can take of noisy, self-focused, egocentric music. When was the last time that you sang to me? Do you know what I want? I want justice. Oceans of it. I want fairness. I want rivers of it. Endless rivers of righteous living. That's what God wants. When God meets us, his job or his goal is to mobilize us. Not to make us into drones or robots, but to show us why we were made. What he purposed us for in the womb. Psalm 139, when he was knitting together your personality and what you looked like, the things that he would lay out before you, the people you would come in contact with, God has adventure for the church. And so as where we are, we're going to be in Luke chapter 9, and we're going to start in verse 57, and this is an interesting piece of what Jesus is doing now because he's had the transfiguration, he's going to be going to the cross, so Jesus, who's leading, is getting ready to go. So he's mentoring the disciples, the people that are going to come in, the people that are going to follow, the people that are going to be leading the church. And it's really crucial that they understand that they're counting the cost. If they treat the master in a way where they're going to torture him and murder him, people who are going to step up in his name need to understand what they're signing on to what they're going to be a part of, what they're going to do. And so what Jesus is doing is he's telling them like, look, you guys don't understand why I'm here. And they said, yeah, we do. You're going to raise up Israel. We're going to slaughter Romans. You're going to be a king. Like we're going to have our political and our national freedom. And Jesus is like, no. You guys don't understand what I'm doing here. When Jesus is constantly challenging their cultural and their traditional lens of God should do it this way. And when Jesus does something that rubs that the wrong way or chafes that, they might subtly think, Jesus, you're doing it wrong. And sometimes we think that too. We feel that way. You know, like my life isn't supposed to go like this. It's supposed to go like this. My life shouldn't be hard. It's supposed to be easy. And we start to, we start to pull back, and we start to craft our own, our own mission, and we start to follow ourselves, our own vision instead of what Jesus has laid out for us. There's a children's book called The Little Prince, and in The Little Prince, they're talking about building a boat, and one of the really interesting pieces of this that I feel like Jesus does in his ministry really, really well, is it talks about not just putting people to work with tasks, but it talks about capturing their heart. And it says, If you want to build a ship, don't drum up the men to gather the wood or divide the work and give orders. Instead, teach them to yearn for the vast, endless sea. Jesus wanted to give people an appetite, a craving for God's presence for the kingdom moving. He didn't want people to just religiously do things, check off boxes so that they could wake up the next day and check off more boxes. Jesus is about people. And so as we read Luke chapter 9, I want you guys to read it with the lens of Jesus is challenging us on what the cost is, what the price is for following him. And it's really important because in our culture, we think of cost in terms of what somebody is extracting from us. But cost can also be viewed in a different way. It can be viewed as what we're willing to pay for value added to us, value added to our life. And so in each of these stories where Jesus is encountering people in the end of this chapter, what he's doing is he never or Luke, sorry, never tells us how, they, how it resolves. He doesn't tell us what people do, what they decide. He doesn't tell us what they decide to do when they move forward. And so if you guys are with me, Luke chapter 9, verse 57, it says, as they were going along the road, so Jesus and his disciples, someone said to him, hey, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And so, if you're taking notes, I want you to write this thought down so that you can think of it. And it says, uh, Religious people look for status, Jesus looks for willingness. This guy saw that Jesus was doing miracles. Jesus had a large following. Jesus was supposed to, in the cultural thinking, step up, become the king. Like, this is going to be awesome. We're going to overthrow the Romans. And so what happens is this guy, from what we can see, is one of the people who wants to hop on the bandwagon. That sounds great, you know? Like, yeah, sign me up, you know? And and there's some, some status here with who Jesus is, and I can just go with it. And Jesus... Gives him a hard stop and says, Hold on, not so fast. If you want to walk with me, you're going to have to learn to step outside of your comfort zone. And a lot of us think of comfort zones as our safe place that allows for our life to thrive. But I want to challenge you that comfort zones also set boundaries, they can restrict your growth, they can keep your life small. They can keep it protected from adventure, protected from growth in a negative way. And so um, John Wimber, the pastor, said, I want you to remember this when you think about discipleship. Remember, the economy of the kingdom is very simple. Every time we come to cross a new threshold, it costs us everything that we now have. Every new step may cost us all of the reputation and security that we've accumulated up to that point. It costs us our life. So this person steps up and says, hey, I'll follow you because he's identifying with the movement, with the status of what Jesus is doing, right? But his, his focus is off. His identity is bound up in what people will think about him what the culture will think about him, where it could take him. Jesus is an addendum, an accessory to his life, right? Jesus is a means for him to get ahead. And a lot of people treat the church, ministry, discipleship with the Lord in that way. They hop on because it's expedient. They join a church because they have a business and they want to get a hold of a directory or whatever. You know, I've seen all kinds of stuff. But sometimes we miss Jesus, God is not a system. God is a person. So God's not being mean here. He's just checking him and saying, do you understand what I'm asking you to do? I'm not telling you that I'm broke. I'm not broke. I'm homeless. When you follow me, we will always be on the move. When you walk with Jesus, you understand this world is not your home. This life is not all that there is. And so when Jesus extends an invitation to you, what he is calling you to is movement. We are the sent ones. We are the ones that are to go. And whenever God calls us, he sends us. Nobody gets a call from Jesus and is not sent. We all get the call and we go on our calling. and The Lord sends us out. And so he's challenging this guy that your identity is is in God's heart, not people's heart. People didn't dream you up. People didn't create you. God did. And God knows why he made you and what he has for you. So this guy, he gets a check. Matthew tells us he was a scribe, which means he had some status already, religious status in the community. He wasn't necessarily poor or blue-collar. And so Jesus probably got a lot of spontaneous offers from people like this that wanted that. And what's interesting is anytime we encounter Jesus and he wants to shift something in our life or invite us to something to do something different, it puts us at an important crossroads. You come to a crossroads of the status quo and risk. Are you going to be average? Are you going to settle? Are you going to go on with what you think you want to do? Or are you going to step into the unknown? The Bible tells us that we don't walk by sight. We walk by faith. And so when we're going to step into a risk, we don't know what's out there. We can't see it. We haven't been there. We don't know what it looks like. Earlier in this chapter, Jesus was in a Samaritan village, and he gave a call for people to follow, and they rejected it. Straight up, Jesus, no thank you. Don't want that. Not looking for that. And so when this guy comes and he's like, yeah, I want to jump on, Jesus is testing him. Say, look, you follow me, you deny yourself. It's going to require self-sacrifice. Can you do that?
0: Hi, this is Pastor Scott from Foothills Calvary. I hope the Lord is speaking to you through today's message. I wanted to just take a second and invite you to join us for worship services at Foothills Calvary. We meet Sundays at 9 and 11 a.m. at 12344 West Alameda Parkway in Lakewood, just a few blocks west of Union and Alameda. If you'd like more information on Foothills Calvary, please visit our website at foothillscalvary.org. Now, let's get back to our study. I pray that the Lord will continue to speak to you by his Holy Spirit.
1: Will you do that? Is this what you want to live? And so, he might have been turned off by God calling him to a simple life of faith. He's looking for status, he's looking for something else, right? But I want to encourage you that a God that conquered death is not afraid to challenge your comfort zone, He will push because he loves you. Let's read on. Verse 59 says, To another, Jesus said, Follow me. But he said, Lord, let me go first and bury my father. And then Jesus said to him, Leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom. So if you're taking notes, the second thought I have here is, You need to consider when your plans conflict with Jesus' plans, you need to think about where your hope lays. Right? When Jesus confronts us, it challenges what direction we think is the better direction. What's the better way? A lot of us think, yeah, God, I love you, and I want to follow you, and you're powerful. And then he'll ask something, and we don't wrestle with God's power. We wrestle with his goodness. Jesus, how could you say that? How could you ask that from me? I mean it's it's my dad. Like, that seems super cruel. Like, how could you even say that to me, Jesus? How could you require that of me? But what's interesting with this is that Jesus is the one doing the inviting for this man. He wasn't approached. He approached this guy. Jesus saw something in this man. There was something there that Jesus said, yes, like, yes, come to me, follow me, I can use you, you're welcome to be here, I want to invite you into the kingdom, into this life, this family, and it's super interesting that what the first thing the guy says is he puts up an excuse, It's asking too much, I can't go right now, Jesus, I'd love to follow you, it's really bad timing, if only you had come in, in a couple years, you know, that, that would be good for me. Pencil me in for then. Jesus doesn't say that. Jesus says, look, this is the time, right? Here we are. Is a quote by Harriet Tubman. Um, she had led so many slaves to freedom over the course of her ministry after escaping slavery in the South. And she approaches this reporter at the end of her life, and they're kind of reflecting and talking about, you know, like, ah, it was amazing what you did. And, you know, she had a really telling quote. And she goes, you know, I freed a thousand slaves, but I could have freed a thousand more had they known that they were slaves. How many people live their adventure, their life with Jesus? And he says, come with me. And we make an excuse right away. Nope. Uh, You see, I have very, very many good reasons, Jesus, that you wouldn't understand why I can't follow you. And Jesus just presses. Jesus encourages this man. Come with me. Come on. Let's do this. And there's too much wrestling in this guy for Jesus to leave it alone. He doesn't let it go. He comes to this guy. And what the guy in the original language is asking for is not permission to bury his dad tomorrow. What he's asking for is that his dad has a sickness and he's going to be dying so can he go and live with him until his dad passes and then bury him. So what we're discussing is an indefinite amount of time. It's not Jesus being mean. It's not Jesus being cruel. This guy is not even choosing between right and wrong. It's very good to take care of your parents. It's good to love on people. It's good to care for people. He is a, in a position of right and right. So, what happens when you have to make a decision like that? You have to understand that they might both be good, but they're not equally rated. They don't have the same priorita- prioritization, they don't have the same weight. Jesus wasn't asking this man to miss his father passing or to bury him. Jesus is asking this man to not put off to tomorrow what Jesus can give him today. And so <clears throat> what ends up happening is this guy, is, he's clearly torn, and he's sincere, right? He's not mean. He's not, um, he doesn't push Jesus back. He doesn't rebuff him. He just makes an excuse, right? And what's interesting is a lot of times we will accept sincerity. Be like, ah, God called you to do that. Uh, but you're having a hard time with it, and so I I respect your sincerity. It's like, hmm. Also, people can be sincerely wrong, and they can be completely sincere about something that's not healthy for them, something that's not good for their life. And so, the first man was way too fast to respond with agenda. Second guy, way too slow to respond with something else. And the idea in verse 60... As we see, and Jesus says, let the dead bury their own dead. It's a pun in the original language. He's saying, let the spiritually dead bury the physically dead. Like, I'm offering you life. I will ignite you. I will light you up. I will hook you up to life and hope and power. But the problem is, this guy has to make a decision, right? Because just like with electricity, power can pass through something, but if it's not grounded, it's bad. It will explode in a bad way. It will mess everything up. So this guy has got to ground himself in what's going on. He's got to make a decision. You know, we get our word passion from a Latin word that means to suffer. And so there's an obvious correlation there that having a passion for something is a decision that you're going to put your money where your mouth is. Right. And so when Jesus is challenging this man to passion, what he's challenging him to is a deep commitment because passion is sustained through deep commitment. Right. And so the more that I go through with my wife, the deeper love that I have for her, the more intimate that we grow together in our journey, the more passion I have for her. Right? Because it becomes ingrained in me as we suffer together. As we go through different things. And it's the same way with Jesus. He's not calling them to to go away, but he's saying, look, you can come as you are, but you can't stay that way. You cannot come as a baby, as a child in the faith, and then stay a child in the faith the rest of your life. You have to grow. You have to be called forward in this life. You know, in Chinese culture, they have a saying for moments like this. They call them dangerous opportunities. You have a call to faith. It's a dangerous opportunity. It's before you. doesn't necessarily mean it's safe, but it means it's right. It's good. And so I want to encourage you guys that to have a healthy relationship with God, you need to have an honest relationship with God. He already knows everything anyway. So just put it out there. You have to own it. This guy's making excuses, and let me tell you, Jesus can't forgive excuses. He came to forgive sin. He can forgive sin, right? You throw out an excuse. So what am I supposed to do with that? <laughs> like you're not—you didn't own it. You're not making a decision. So I don't. It, We're—it's spiritual limbo. It's weird. It's awkward. You know, because there's there's nowhere to go. It's like a standoff. And I remember when I first became a pastor about 12 years ago, my father-in-law, who's also a pastor, came to me and he goes, you need to understand something. The truth is going to set people free. I'm like, ah, yeah, I know that. I read that. Um, He's like, yeah. uh, But first, it will make them angry. And that was such good gold for me going forward because I thought I would share truth and people would be like, yeah, Let's do it, you know? And instead, I was finding people getting riled up. People were not happy, you know, all the time. They were kind of mad. And uh, it was really good for me to know that, like, a lot of times the Lord will press something in us that will light us up. Just like the movie Elf when he gets in the elevator and he hits all the buttons, right? And you just, God is asking you for something. You're like, "Mm, Lord, it hurts so good. It's so hard. (laughs) So if you're taking notes, the third point is flesh grazes God, but faith grips faith grips Him. You know, when we're in the flesh, we're fine, we're content to be around God, as long as it doesn't require a whole lot from us. But when you're walking in faith, you want to grab onto God. You want to grip Him. William Booth, who started the Salvation Army, he made a really poignant quote on what it takes to follow the Lord. It takes surrender. Right, you're dying to yourself. And so he said the greatness of a man's power is in the measure of his surrender. So carry on with me in verse sixty one. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me say farewell to those who are at home. And Jesus said to him, No one who puts his hand to the plough and looks back is fit for the kingdom. So this guy liked what Jesus is doing. He heard what Jesus is doing, liked, again, just to be around what was happening with the moving of God, if, but, or. These are all words for half-hearted discipleship. God calls you and you say, yeah, I could do that, Um, but. God calls you and you're like, yeah, I would love to do that, if. Or God calls you and you flat out just say, yeah, that sounds like a really cool calling. Or we could do this. And God's like, no, (laughs) no, I'm the king here. I'm the one who's telling you how this is going to go. So in in a sense, this guy, he follows the Lord and he's saying like, look, I hear what you're saying. Uh, Let me go home and ask my friends what they think about it. And I'll see kind of what my circle, my sphere of influence says. And then if they're good with it and we're all good with it, then I'll probably, maybe, possibly, probably not come back to you. And Jesus hears all that. He knows what this guy is saying, because the minute this guy walks away, that moment is passing. Jesus is with him in the now. Jesus isn't waiting for him in the future. Jesus isn't romanticizing and living with him in the past. A lot of us think, like, ah, so cool, like, the revivals, the things God's done in our country, why isn't he doing more? Wow. (laughs) He's doing a lot. But we get distracted. This guy's distracted. His heart, his focus is not with what the Lord is doing. He's distracted. We see that all over our culture. People are distracted right now by fear. Distracted by war. Distracted by health. Distracted by politics. It's an election year. Distracted by their careers. Distracted by what people are tugging on them. For their energy, their time, their resources. They're pulling them and tugging at them. And Jesus, he knows this. And so Jesus tells him, look, just let me be straight with you. Okay? Verse 62. Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom. You have to have determination, right? You plow a field, you look up, you look around, you're distracted, you look behind you, you're looking at the past, your field looks awful. It's not even close to what it could bear. So farmers, they would look at something down the way, not right in front of them, you know, but down the way, like a tree at the end of the field, they fixate themselves, fixate on the mission, and then they go for the mission, right? But if you're not about the mission practically have no mission you're not doing anything right and a lot of us practically and following the lord we're like yes lord i would love to do that and then we get distracted or we sit back and we do different things and so the mission is always somewhere else it's always somebody else's call hey good for them that's awesome or sometimes we grumble like hey i wish god would use me god's like i yes yes i wish i could use you too You know, But plowmen, they don't have to do anything special, right? They don't have to be educated. They don't need pedigree. You don't need a title. You don't need money to get out and play in the dirt, right? But what you need to do is you need to be able to quietly hold on. You have got to stay grounded. So as we finish up, read with me the first two verses of chapter 10. And so... It says after this, the Lord appointed seventy-two others, and He sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he found himself was about to go. And He said to them, "Look, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers, they're few. therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest." You know, sometimes you look at churches growing, and, and uh, sometimes churches are marketing, they're doing this, they're doing that, and we get caught up in programs, and whatever. They're, they're helpful vehicles, but they're not the mission. The mission is about people. God loves people. Jesus doesn't have a church so that he can build a brand. Jesus is building a kingdom. And Jesus is inviting you to be a part of that process. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the famous German pastor who was in prison, wrote this. God loves human beings. God loves the world. Not an ideal human, but human beings as they are. Not an ideal world, but the real world. What we find repulsive in their opposition to God, what we shrink back from with pain and hostility, this is for God the ground of unfathomable love Jesus saw the vastness of human need he was going to the cross he understood the kingdom is upon us the kingdom is now come be a part of this and the the picture that he gives is there's this field and it's ready to harvest Jesus is there and all the tools are laid out everything is ready to go and he looks up No one's there to harvest it. It's crushing. It's crushing. Everything out in front of us, all that possibility, all that opportunity, all these people that are children, not projects, real people with real lives, real hurts, real concerns that God takes seriously are being left. They're out there. No one's harvesting it. Well, there are a few. And God says, Jesus says, look, pray to the Father. This is the burden of Jesus' ministry and Jesus' heart. Pray to the Father that he will raise up people to come with me. And this is where the kingdom is, right? It's at home with the broken. The kingdom thrives in brokenness. It thrives where it can come in and people don't have illusions about I'm good enough, smart enough people like me no people know they're broken they have a need they need Jesus they need hope they need life and Jesus says I know I'm here and he wants us to join him in what we're doing and the idea in the Greek is that you would pray that God would push them out that God would throw out people there's no time to wait guys we don't have forever Jesus is coming back. And even if he tarries, even if he waits, we have a finite amount of time. The people around us are not immortal. They have a finite amount of time. And Jesus loves them. And what's important is that you look at the word of God, and the word of God lights up the way for us. Right? It's a lamp unto our path. And so we, we see it, and it lights up, and it makes sense. And that's important because it's the illumination of the kingdom. But the working of God, the moving of God, is equally important. And us joining Him and taking the kingdom forward and partnering with Him is important because it's the illustration of the kingdom. When you're hungry... In the natural, you get hungry because you're not eating. In the kingdom, you get hungry when you eat. You join God, you taste, you see that He is good, and you want more. There's so much life here. There's so much for us. I want more. I need more. There's a craving to see people have a taste to see people experience who God is, what he has for them. And the crushing thing is that a lot of people stop short with good theology. Like, know, I I have a really good doctoral understanding of who Jesus is. It's good. It's good. There's nothing wrong with education at all. It's good. But are you so satisfied that you're not living with him? I know about him. Great. Have you met him? We don't market Jesus to people. We introduce Jesus to people. That is the calling that's on us. Each of us are going to stand at judgment one day. Your life will end. Spoiler alert. Sorry. It's it's going to happen. So is mine. Our our life on earth will come to an end. And when that happens, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, right? And so we will go and we live this life. And we will go to the judgment, and we'll we'll stand before the Lord, and He will ask you, "What did you do with all the things I gave you, with the call to the kingdom that I gave you? Was it really beautiful? Like, hmm, I don't know, but I had a great career. <sniffs> okay, glad you had a good career. Did you reach the people I put in your play, in your path? Well, I I don't know. I really was. I was busy promoting my candidates and my legislation and my politics. And it's like, you know what? Uh, all that passed away. People don't. Really wish you would have been about the people. That's where my heart is. What are we supposed to tell Jesus other than the gospel is for people. It's about people. The way that we will be known as believers is because we will be marked by his love by an inflamed passion for those around us. People are searching because they don't know what their lives are for, and they don't know how to use them. But God does, and he wants to. He doesn't begrudgingly use it. He wants to use you. He loves you deeply. He doesn't just tolerate you. He desires you. So as we finish up this morning, I want to challenge you that if you're holding on to fear in your life somewhere, I want you to let it go. And I know that sounds easy for the guy with the mic in the front. The last couple of years for me personally have been savage, just brutal, really, really tough. And you know what? God was ferociously faithful. He was equally tough in my life. And so, I want to encourage you this morning that fear must surrender to trust. The natural order of this world must surrender to the supernatural moving of God. As believers, we don't talk about Jesus like he's not in the room. He's alive. He's here. The Spirit of God is moving amongst us. He's hitting hearts right now. We have a king, and he's here this morning. He's the king of heaven and earth. He's almighty. He's the uncreated one. He's the one who knows no limits. He has no lack of reach or power. Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verse 4, it says, Where the word of a king is, there is power. And who can say to him, what are you doing? We don't get to say that to Jesus. We get to say, "Will you use me? You're gonna want, You're gonna take care of me, Lord." So this morning, uh, Caleb, if you'll come up, we're just gonna have a time of worship, and I want to encourage you. God's not done with you. You're not dead. You're still sucking oxygen. You still have a pulse. God has a mission for you. God has people that he dearly loves and he doesn't just want to use you in some transactional weird way. He wants to do it with you. He wants to spend time with you. Loves you. Loves the people around you. So this morning, you need to think about just what kind of a follower are you? If you're timid, I want to encourage you, step up. You don't have to be some kind of fake different person, just take one step forward. Right on time. <laughs> If you're holding back this morning, I want to encourage you, don't. Don't let apathy rock you to sleep. Don't let spiritual apathy soothe your soul. Don't let it numb you. Don't let it rob you. Don't do it. If you're disillusioned this morning, going through a hard time, I want to encourage you that Jesus loves you. He sees what's going on, and he wants to heal that. He wants to cut out the lies that have been spoken over you and to you. And if you're hurting this morning, let Jesus have it. God can't heal what he can't touch. You have to be vulnerable. You have to give him space to move. But if you do, even if it's painful, it will be worth it.
0: has been Alive and Powerful with Pastor Scott Morrison. We hope you were blessed by today's message. Alive and Powerful is the radio ministry of Foothills Calvary, a fresh and growing fellowship in Lakewood, Colorado. We invite you to come and join us as we study the word together, Sunday mornings at nine and 11 a.m. We meet at one, two, three, four, four, West Alameda Parkway in Lakewood, just a few blocks west of Union and Alameda. For more information about Foothills Calvary, please visit our website at foothillscalvary.org. That's foothillscalvary.org.